another episode of the anarchist experience episode 356 aka year eight week one uh, we are officially beginning the eighth year of this podcast program broadcast whatever you want to call it uh, as always i am your host mr richie rich along with mc and ks and since this show is broadcast live uh, over clubhouse um Saturdays, usually around 4 p.m. Eastern time, getting a little early start today, uh, but that's the usual time we started. If you want to participate in this program, uh, you can do so through Clubhouse. Just find the Anarchist Experience Club or at me at Riches for Rich, R-I-C-H, the number four, R-I-C-H, or R-I-C-H-E-S, the number four, R-I-C-H, Riches for Rich, and I will click the little button uh, to add you or to notify you when we actually start the live program. Uh, that being said, Hello, gentlemen. What is going on with you guys this week? Um, I saw some funny news that isn't coming out of Canada. And uh, there's some truckers that, that are blocking the roads, I guess. Or they had a, are they blocking the roads or did they just have a huge caravan? Of it's trucks? a convoy. Convoy, okay. The, technically, they're blocking the roads because the convoy is so goddamn long that you, there's just no way around it. Yeah. Are, are they intentionally blocking traffic, though, or are they just taking up space i think they're just taking up space there's no there's nothing that i read that said that they were stopped on the highway mm-hmm. there it's it's a super duper long convoy of truckers driving to like ottawa i guess yeah, so so at least fifty thousand trucks or something like that right on their in way city, in a city of five hundred thousand or something <laughs> right on their way to protest the uh canadian vaccine mandate and they're being joined by farmers and whatever now on their farm vehicles. So it's just it's just a huge mass of people, you know, important people for, you know, moving the supply chain in the United States and in Canada. Um, going like, nope, we're we're shutting it all down. Cause they're they're not delivering goods, right? These truckers are off the route, off the roads, just driving, you know, convoying to Ottawa in protest. And they're protesting the COVID vaccine mandates. Yeah. Canada wants to make it a mandate and wants to get everyone vaccinated. And truckers are going like, nope, you think the economy works without us? We are shutting it down. <laughs> so now uh, the truckers have the support of Elon Musk and Jordan Peterson <laughs> and a bunch of other people that I follow. So that's pretty funny. The interesting part of this, we uh, the b- brief uh, conversation we had pre-show was KS and his liberal local news out of Hawaii gets like none of this information completely. Yeah, I, was just, I was just scanning over the news here and there's, there's nothing about this at all. You know? Yeah. Nothing about that. Nothing about Joe Biden calling the Fox news reporter, a stupid bastard for questioning inflation. Joe Biden <laughs> no. saying that inflation is a good thing. All the, all the important news of the day just like doesn't show up in the local paper, not even in the world section, I guess over there. 
Right. <laughs> but where do you get your news from? That's the thing. I get, I again, uh, my show prep this week is very heavy on Reason Magazine or Reason.com or whatever. So whatever, I, I find the best articles that I can think of for this program. Um, and it just so happens to be like Reason Heavy this week. But I, I typically have like a whole bunch of sources in my news feed that I go to. So it's it's rare that I miss something or something comes across that, you know, doesn't like if it's if it's important or bizarre, right? Like I find a way to to see those news headlines. And I get some help here and there, like, hey Rich, did you see this? Hey Rich, did you see that? And so I'm like, I get a whole bunch of news throughout the week. So it's boggling to me that the two funniest things that happened this week or, you know, the funniest one being the Joe Biden one and the important one being the, the shutdown of the Canadian, you know, supply chain, basically, um, it gets no mention at all. It's like not important. Yeah, I see this other one on here uh, that an unvaccinated Canadian loses his, the right to see his child. <laughs> yep. The vaccination is being used to control and interrupt every sort of uh, individual right. Amazing, isn't it? It's as if the libertarian and conspiracy theorist hadn't predicted this two years ago, that it would be used as a control mechanism, that the entire COVID lockdown, shutdown, quarantine would be used as a control mechanism to force behavior going into the future and that it's only going to get worse. Oh, and look at that. It is, and it's getting worse. (laughs) Right? Even in the United States, supply chain issues, unvaccinated truckers can't cross the border. Okay. Good luck getting food, right? Whose idea yeah. was this? Well, I thought things were, I, I, I mean, I've, I've been the, under the impression that except for Hawaii, that the rest of the country is opening up and getting back to normal. Is that not true? Well, there's, there's opening up, there's getting back to normal, and then there's the catching up of the supplies of goods, you know, throughout the country. Mm-hmm. Like there, the, the empty shelf phenomenon is is happening everywhere to different extents, right? Like there, there are certain goods and products even here in New Hampshire. And we're relatively like wide open at this point that just isn't available. Right. You know, um, the, um, there, there's a, I get, I buy a lot of like hash brown potatoes from Walmart. That's like a staple of my Sunday morning breakfast. And for weeks it was just not on the shelf right? Never had a problem with it before. Always a full stock of it. And all of a sudden just sold out everywhere. As if there's a run on hash brown potatoes, right? That's weird, but it's not. It's just, you know, it's just the supply hasn't caught up. They, they manufacturing or production hasn't caught up. Um, there's a, apparently at the beginning of COVID there was, you know, because of the supply chain issues, there was a, a law passed, um, that, protects makers of of food products where they don't have to list all the ingredients as if they used to making it difficult for people with allergies to, you know, to be able to check the ingredients. Cause, Oh, well, if we're not using the same stuff we used to use because we can't get in the supply chain, well, then we just don't have to list it anymore. So it's, you know, it's, it's affecting people's ability to vet the type of food that they're putting into their bodies. Prices have gone up, you know, a bag of the, you know, the, the 10 pound bag of frozen chicken 
uh, that I usually get. I, I bought another bag uh, yesterday from the you know the the local big box store, and I I want to say the price is probably up fifty percent, but I don't remember what I've paid for it in the past. But I feel like it's fifty percent more. Like I was astounded by how much I'm paying for a pound of chicken now in the in the frozen press thing. You know, orange juice. That this another one, right? I I get a uh, I get a gallon or whatever of orange juice, and a few years ago, when we first made the move to New Hampshire, it was like four ninety nine. Now it's up to six fifty for a gallon of orange juice. Still not, you know, not a bank buster, but as a, as a percentage of value, that's a huge jump. And they're saying that that one's going to get worse, right? There's news reports saying orange juice, you know, uh, the the growers or whatever aren't going to be able to keep up with uh, demand, and so that's another area that where you're going to see rise in prices. But good old Joe Biden, right? Inflation is good, you stupid bastard. Yeah, I see the quote right now. It's a great asset. When asked about uh, is uh, will inflation be a political liability in the midterms, he says it's a great asset, more inflation. What a stupid son of a bitch. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how in the world? I mean, well, well. It's certainly not going to be an asset for the election. Uh, what he says about it. <laughs> well, a political asset, though, right? They can use that as a as a tool for the Democrat Party. I don't know how. I don't know how you can. I don't know how they think that works. Because when prices go up, they say, "Oh, it's the evil capitalist conservatives that are the ones doing it." Okay, but okay, I hear you, and I get that, but. That that really really implies how dumb the average voter is, and I would accept that too. Never, never underestimate the stupidity of voters. I I don't. It just it again boggles my mind, baffles me to no end. Right, that they can have all this inflation, wages don't keep. Like there was a meme, right? It basically said like, okay, you finally got your fifteen dollar minimum wage, and it's a setback at this point. Because of all the inflation and the money printing, right? So, fine, you can have your double the minimum wage at federal level increase. Not that that's it's gone through. That's why in Hawaii they're going to raise it to eighteen dollars. Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah. Good luck. I mean, okay, fine. Like that. That would have been. That would have. That would have been moderately beneficial when I was working low wage jobs in Hawaii. Right, but even then, I understood that it wasn't a good thing, right? To to, to well, you, you might have lost your job too. You know? I might have, yeah. <laughs> I okay. To be fair, I think at that point in time in my life, I was accepting of a low wage job, but I I have been and well, always will be clearly back, above a minimum wage worker. They they cut back hours so that uh, the workers didn't earn any more. They may have put in fewer hours, but that just means you got to put on the same amount or more work um, from working shorter hours or working for the people who are laid off. Yeah. Uh, so it didn't benefit the workers, uh, you know, at all. A booming economy like Seattle could be. Uh, other places that aren't booming like Hawaii, um, you know, a lot of hotel workers are just going to be laid off. A lot of landscapers are going to be laid off because, Fifteen dollars an hour—that's a big, big increase. Well, yes, but it's—I almost feel like it's justified based on the inflation, right? Like it's even worse. 
it's even worse if you're not making that kind of money and your buying power is reduced, you know, 30%, right? Yes, that's why inflation is really, turn around the definition, it's a pay cut for everybody of 7%. And at it, least 7%. At least, yeah, because it's, uh, well, for one thing, it works a lot heavier as a burden on anybody with a fixed income or a savings. Um, and the wealth doesn't disappear. It's really transferred to people who are holding assets that go up in value. So it's a transfer of wealth, especially hard on lower income people and especially um, uh, beneficial to people holding assets such as stocks or property, the, you know, the housing prices. Where, where did the value of a house come from? If, it, if it's been so, going up by 20%, where did it come from? The house is the same. It came out of the pockets of everybody who's losing purchasing power in their money. Yeah. So it's a huge transfer of wealth from the from the uh, lower income to higher income. So part of me, I want I'm going to ask this question. I don't know if there's a good answer. Why do the wealthy people need to transfer that money? Like, what is what is their motivation for just keeping everyone else poor? Like, I don't. Some part of me doesn't understand that either. Right? Like. Why, why do you need to steal money from poor people? What are they going to do if they get wealthy? wealthy I, I don't think the wealthy necessarily think of they're taking it from somebody else. They're saying, I'm going to invest in something that's going to uh, keep its value. Okay. When it, the government is the, the, the villain here because they're printing the money to spend it. Right. And, and they know, I mean, those economists, and the, they they know very well that it's going to have, well, actually, they don't. I don't think they really, they haven't even said it, that it, that money causes inflation. And yet it's such an obvious thing. But uh, most uh, Keynesian economists uh, will blame other things, like the supply side, uh, you know, shortages. And I guess and, let me rephrase my question, because, again, I don't want to sound like I'm blaming wealthy people in general. But yeah. those in power that are making these policy decisions, right, they they have to know that it's a wealth transfer. And much like the, you know, Nancy Pelosi uh, kerfuffle over insider trading, right, where the advanced information makes them richer quicker or, you know, whatever, um, the, the people setting these uh, inflationary policies, they have to know that they're that they're becoming more wealthy um, at the expense of poor people, right? Like it's, it's either evil or ignorance and I don't think they're that dumb. So when they're, when they're setting the policy to enrich themselves at the expense of the, the lowest, you know, economic stratus of the, of the, of the economy, um, I just don't like, can't, can't they figure out a better way? Like, is there, isn't there more appropriate ways to enrich themselves that don't destroy that lower class to that extent? Well, I think they see it as a, as just a big game that, um, you know, like you play the game of monopoly and you, you, you win, you don't, you don't look at who's losing at the game and how, you know, by somebody is losing. I think they're, they're just, gaming the system because they uh, they can. They know that printing money makes it possible for them to promise all kinds of things. And okay, they say, okay, even if the poor are hurt by inflation, don't worry. They're the saviors who come in with, with uh, food stamps 
and uh, checks to hand out. And so they look like the good guys both ways. Okay. And that's what gets them elected. That's the only thing that matters to these guys, the votes that get them elected, not yeah. the logic of programs. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess. I just, I've seen enough of those. They had them around here, those uh, Biden stickers at the gas pump, whether or not you believe it or not, right? The, you know, the, it's a, it was a picture of Biden pointing to the, the price of gas, and it said, I did that right (laughs) whether you believe that to be 100 percent true or not or whether or not that would have happened under trump is neither here nor there Uh, but it's it's true enough where people should be able to see that and put two and two together right inflationary policies are the reason why your price has gone up and your wages aren't keeping up with that and And i'm not saying trump's going to come in and be the savior again or republican but come on man well, and then the, even when the price goes up, they claim that as a victory for the green side of them. You know, say, oh, you see, we're trying to discourage carbon consumption at the same time. So price rise in gas is good. Uh, I suppose that's how, you know, I mean, you, you can give a positive turn to any twist, to anything, any piece of data that comes out. Yeah. I mean, again, again I shouldn't be surprised, but I just... I think of the average voter, the average American, the average whomever, and I just wish they weren't that dumb to believe it, right? Like, oh, yeah, every, everyone can afford a Tesla, you know? If you don't want to pay the high gas price, just buy an electric vehicle because that's not, you know, too expensive. Oh, what's that? You can't afford one? Well, here's, you know, here's a tax credit or whatever to bring the price down. Here's a subsidy for that. On top of that, and then once again, like you said, Cass, they they get to be the good guys. Mm. It's insane. Mm-hmm. It's insane to call it an asset, unless it's insane to call it an asset. Unless again, you really believe that the people voting for you are that dumb to believe the nonsense, and apparently they are. Eighty million of them, or whatever that number was. Hard to believe, and. You know, we talked about the the trucker um, convoy, at least in Canada and part of the U.S. It's going to get worse, right? Because that is that is an effective protest, but it also shuts down the supply side of things. Yeah. Same demand, less supply, price goes up. So the outlook outlook not so good at the moment on a lot of fronts. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hunker down, mm-hmm. befriend a farmer. My, my prediction is is that the uh, left is going to lose uh, a huge amount of ground uh, <clears throat> right around the corner. So it's you know <laughs> if they're doing this for votes, then it's not going to work out for them. Okay. Uh, however, um, it's not going to solve the problem. It'll just shift the power back to the right. Yeah. And and then they'll have to tell us that oh well, we need to have a war with Russia because uh, you know. Everybody that gets in government positions wants to spend more money, and in order to do that, they have to have some type of excuse. Said so that you know it would actually be better if they just printed the money. Yeah, but they're going to use a, a war with Russia or whoever to justify spending more money, and that will uh, keep them popular for a while. I want to give a little bit of credit to Donald Trump at the end there of his presidency. Because when it seemed like it was going to be close, um, it's real easy to 
start that war to become the wartime president because, oh, people don't want to vote a new president in the middle of a war, right? That's a, a cliche, maybe mm-hmm. valid, right? So if you're the wartime president, you like, you guarantee yourself a second term usually. And if that, if, if that's what you're suggesting the Republicans are going to do is, you know, get back to war when they get back in, um, uh, maybe Biden starts it ahead of time, right? He's already doing some dumb shit with the Russia Ukraine situation. Maybe he becomes the wartime president to get his second term into. Yeah, I see that. KS wartime yeah, presidents. I think that, that, uh, that, that, but that's true. I think, uh, well, it, it maybe you may mistake to think of the Republicans as the wartime party because more wars start under the Democrats because they can get away with it. Their, their supporters have to accept what they do and they're trying to win the, you know, they're trying to look tough, you know, to, to win their opponents. So they look, they present an, an issue that they think will appeal to uh, the, the, main, the mainstream or the independents uh, who, you know, to keep them away from the Republicans. So look tough on it reminds me of what happens when, when a, a female uh, gets into government office. She wants to compete with the males by, by being more aggressive. So, <laughs> yeah, and it's, yeah. And it's sad, you know. It's like that shouldn't be uh, the, the, the strength of a female is how aggressive she is. Okay. Or, or males, really. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it should be competence, really. All right. Okay, so real quick point of contention then, not that I supported him. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard seemed to break that mold a little bit, right? She seemed to be the most anti-war Democrat on stage during the last cycle. Or maybe the only anti-war Okay, <laughs> whatever, yeah. Or maybe, or even on both sides, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Fair, but she she didn't, maybe that's why, is that why she lost then? Because she didn't play the role of the tough female being I, way too aggressive? I think she loses because she doesn't bow down to Israel. And I think that's, Pretty much all it is. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. Anything else on inflation or Canadian convoys or Joe Biden being a moron or Trump putting out feelers for his reelection run? Yeah. It's interesting that if, if Trump had made that kind of remark about a journalist, I'm sure the media would have been all over it. And I would have heard about it in the, in the local. Oh yeah. Star advertiser, but because Biden didn't, it was brushed off as well. That's just a, um, flippant remark. Yeah. The, the way I heard it, it was just a flippant remark. Like it was, it was almost like he was trying to mock the guy, but it just, it still didn't make sense because it was too true. <laughs> you know? It was a hot mic moment. He wasn't responding to the guy. He was muttering under his breath and the microphone right. picked it up. Right. And but, so it, it, it was, it was basically some nonsense that was just coming out of his mouth, but it, well, that's it, when he speaks. it was okay so it was some nonsense that came out of his mouth right as a throwaway comment but it gives an insight onto the man's thought process right when when he doesn't have the filter or the speech writer or his handlers right telling him what to say on the teleprompter right To, to me it sounded like he was being more facetious like uh, somebody says, "Oh, you know, this inflation is is terrible for us." And he's like, "Yeah, inflation's inflation's great. It's an asset." Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Right. 
it, it, it sounded I, like he just didn't want to talk about it, and so he was just he a, was a rambling. Question here: How in the world is he being asked a question at a press conference, and it being a mic that he thinks is not on? I mean, isn't the whole conference <laughs> that you're in front of? He's a dumb. Mic <laughs> well, because the press conference was basically over. And it was as the reporters were leaving and they threw out, you know, you know, usually as he's walking off stage, they will still throw questions out at him. Like he never, no president has ever answered all the questions at a press conference before ending the press conference. Right. Sure. But how, how stupid to think that, oh, the conference is over and the mic is suddenly off. I mean, what, you know, why would you, why would you think that the mic is suddenly off? Okay. You know? Yeah. Okay. Let me share a story, and this might illustrate the example. Um, We were, it was Spanish class, I believe, in high school. And we had to, like, give a speech. It was a group project. We had to give a speech or have a conversation or something in Spanish. And the the presentation was recorded, like on a, you know, an old handy cam video camera, uh, by one of the other students in the class because we were going to, you know, film the presentation and watch it back afterwards. Right. Mm -hmm. And a group went up and they were either not prepared or not very good at what they were doing. And while they were, while they were recording this, the cameraman just whispered to himself, wow, these guys suck. Wow. These guys suck. Mm -hmm. And no one in the class heard it. Right. He just whispered it to himself (laughs) until we played the video back, at which point the wow, these guys suck as a whisper. Right. Was louder than the presentation that he was recording because of his proximity to the microphone. Yeah. 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 Okay. So my own, my, I'm comparing it to that because Biden was in my, in my opinion, when I viewed this, uh, when I viewed the video was muttering under his breath. Right. Like it was, yeah. it was, it was a, a, it was words to himself at such a low volume that no one at the press conference heard it. The, the Fox news guy who asked the question didn't hear himself get called a stupid son of a bitch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, right. no one standing a foot from Biden probably heard what he was saying Yeah. until okay. they played back the recording because the microphone was good and the microphone picked it up. So I don't, I don't think it's necessarily, a, you know, benefit of the doubt. I don't think it's the belief that it wasn't going to get heard or that the microphone wasn't on. It was probably the belief that it was being said too quietly to matter until it did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, these guys suck. Wouldn't that be nice to have him have a live mic on 24 hours, even to hear the snoring or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> that would be a good experiment. <laughs> But again, then then you would get the unfiltered like thoughts of the man, as opposed to the you know curated uh, presentation that gets put together for you know for con- you know uh, mass consumption. And I think and I think that that's what that those I think that's what these hot mic moments do is they give you an insight to, of the natural thought process of people, right? Whether yeah. whether it's a throwaway comment or whether he was being facetious and. I disagree with MC. I don't think he was. I think that's was just his response to the guy. He just didn't think he said it loud enough for anyone to hear. 
Like, why is this Fox News guy saying that inflation is going to be a problem in the midterm when it's an asset for us? Like, we can we can use the inflation story, right? You know, to our benefit, as you said, KS. They can spin it any way they want, right? And mm-hmm. over over the past several months, right? There's you know memes about this on social media of how they've you know they've come out in articles and said like inflation is a good thing and here's why right they're already spinning it and if they can get people to buy into and believe that nonsense right then when the, when he says inflation is an asset he believes it's an asset it's a good thing it's it's a good thing for americans it's a good thing for his you know uh, re-election bid it's a good thing for democrats in the midterm um and they actually believe it and and to to suggest otherwise right to say like, no inflation is bad and harms the you know the 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 poorest of society and steals value from, you know, average hardworking Americans and it robs you of your savings and your purchasing power and all this. Uh, well, you're just wrong and you're a stupid son of a bitch, right? That's, that's how I take that. Those, um, comment, those unfiltered hot mic comments. Fair, fair enough. All right. Headlines. Is it time already? Sure. Sure. All right. Again, reason heavy. So pick the best one or two. Uh, headline, leave goat yoga alone. Headline, court bars healthcare. Oh, we got to do this one. Maybe first. I think there's been an update as well. Maybe. Um, a headline, court bars healthcare workers from switching jobs. A headline, DC asks shoppers to start rationing food. Is this just the beginning? A headline, Elon Musk is right. Government shouldn't control land on other planets. A headline, Congress's latest attempt to rein in big tech will hurt consumers. Headline, ooh, are Oregonians ready to pump their own gas? <laughs> and finally, headline, why intellectual property isn't necessary to reward innovation. Uh, any place in particular you guys want to start this week? Oh, I like that last one as an intellectual topic, but I don't know if it's as, um, as flavorful and fun as some of the others that you mentioned, okay. but... Uh... Let's let's do this one first. Then uh, court bars healthcare workers from switching jobs, and I'm going to read the update first because this was a big deal, and then they kind of walked it back. So it it turned out okay, but the thought of this being a thing scared a lot of people um, earlier this week. A Wisconsin judge treats healthcare workers like serfs, legally tied to the workplace they'd like to leave. Uh, the update first, the order that was the subject of the story was rescinded by Judge Mark McGinnis in a hearing today after the story was filed. The original story follows. So just know that they did the right thing, but holy shit was this close, okay? <laughs> All right. Ascension, a healthcare company with locations in Wisconsin, recently hired several, uh, excuse me, seven workers specializing in interventional radiology and cardiovascular work. All of them used to work for the competing healthcare provider, ThetaCare, and they represent a majority of the latter's formerly 11-member team. Now, ThetaCare is using the court to stop the former employees from taking their chosen new jobs. Uh, Last week, uh, Outagamie County Circuit Court Judge Mark McGinnis insanely agreed. uh, This is the part that got walked back and, you know, rescinded. 
but insanely agreed to legally prevent these workers from starting their new job. None of these Americans were barred contractually from leaving the old job at will or from taking a new one. The court's temporary restraining order stated that Ascension must make available to ThetaCare one invasive radiology technician and one registered nurse of the individuals resigning their employment with ThetaCare to join Ascension with their support to include on-call responsibilities or cease the hiring of the individuals referenced until ThetaCare has hired adequate staff to replace the departing IRC team members. The resource the judge insists that Ascension must make available is a group of human beings who did not choose to be made available to ThetaCare. ThetaCare had no argument based on contract or no non-compete clauses for its brazen demand. It is merely declaring that its former employee's choice to go will harm it, and it insists harm public health in the area. Uh, Further hearing on the matter is happening today. That's the one that got the update. Uh, Not that it should matter, but Ascension did no active poaching of the employees. One freely applied, preferred the offer, and word spread among the others. It's a choice they, of course, be they of course they should of course be free to make theta care insists that since it's the only level two trauma and comprehensive stroke care operation in the area uh, stretching from green bay and milwaukee the loss of its ability to have 24 7 staff on call at least until is able to find people freely willing to accept its compensation package could both threaten its accreditation and present health risks to residents who might need its services Lynn Detterman, a senior vice president at ThetaCare, told WBAY that it just really in the spirit of community is harmed by this potentially, so we just want to work collectively to ensure that that does not happen. By preventing American citizens from taking another job that they prefer more. In a statement provided to the Appleton, Wisconsin Post President, Ascension wrote that Workforce shortages are one of the many stresses healthcare systems have faced during this pandemic. Contrary to the allegations in the ThetaCare lawsuit, Ascension, uh, Wisconsin, did not initiate the recruitment of ThetaCare employees. Rather, the employees applied for open job postings. It is Ascension, Wisconsin's understanding that ThetaCare had an opportunity but declined to make competitive counteroffers to retain its former employees. Indeed, one of the healthcare workers being unjustly treated as a serf, Timothy Breister, told Duds McGinnis that we heard of a colleague getting an offer from Ascension better, not just in pay, but also better work-life balance. He also applied. When he asked ThetaCare for a counteroffer, he was told that the long-term expense to ThetaCare was not worth the short-term cost. This is, alas, the sort of thing that treating healthcare as a matter of public policy rather than free markets can lead to. Judge McGinnis ordered, uh, or Judge McGinnis's order offered no legal reasoning or precedent for his outrageous act. It is hard to imagine that one could be offered that meets constitutional muster. Uh, end of the article. So, I read it slowly, hoping you'd catch it all. Does that all does that scare you? in any way that it, that it had that it was accepted ordered down and then had to be rescinded after the fact 
Well, uh, yeah, I mean, of course, it, it shows how, how judges are on the edge of uh, pretty draconian things. And fortunately, they had to walk it back. But that's kind of the sentiment of, uh, of, of a lot of things. People just say, well, this is what it ought to be, and whatever it ought to be is, is what they want to impose. And judges have that scary position, position that, that they can do that. Fortunately, people can appeal to a, another court to get it reversed, but it takes a long time. Yeah. I used to work uh, in restaurants, back of the house, in the kitchen. right? And one of the first things that I was uh, told by one of my employers when I moved to New Hampshire is turnover is high in, in restaurants, in the kitchen, um, because people will jump ship for a nickel more across the street. And I went, Oh, okay. Are you trying to tell me that they're paying a nickel more across the street? Right. Kind of thing. Um, <laughs> uh, but Im- Im- imagine that if that, you know, if, if that were true and I went, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go get a nickel more across the street. Right. And rather than let me go, or rather than, you know, bump me up and pay to a, a dime, right? They just went, no, nah, we're going to file an injunction. You're not going anywhere, right? <laughs> Be at work on Monday, right? That's what happened until it was rescinded. So, again, glad, glad that it got rescinded and overturned, um, but, but c- crazy that that's even, that it was even heard by the court, Right. Where, where does the court system even get off adjudicating this sort of, of, of complaint at will employee quits to go work for a competitor. And the, the, the first response of the company is now nah, we'll just sue you mm. crazy. Yeah. 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 I would go back to work with, for them and then, uh, completely destroy them from the inside. Oh, and, but then they would sue you. <laughs> right. Like, let, let, let me take it. I'm, I'm calling in sick, you know, forever at that point. Right? <laughs> I'm taking, I'm taking all my sick days until you fucking fire me, uh, you know, for not showing up. How did, man, I th- I think the, the article used the word brazen, but the audacity, uh, to, to, to not compete. And again, the mindset to turn it over to the court system to decide whether or not you know you have to force people to work for less, uh, or be, that they be made available to you to work after they had already quit your shitty job. Why would you want somebody to work for you that that doesn't want to work there? That's the weird thing. Be, oh Thank well, you. in this case, it was because again they were gonna they could lose their accreditation um, if they didn't have proper coverage in the area. Okay, and that makes we, a we bit could more sense. We could talk about the overall, you know, healthcare problem, the 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 healthcare shortage um, for consumers because they're not allowed, you know, because competition isn't allowed in the area in most places, right? Hawaii has the same thing. You got to ask the competition uh, whether or not you can build a new hospital, right? They go, no, we got it covered. We don't need you here, and then and so you're not allowed to compete. So, in in this case, without their accreditation, uh, public health. Because there's no other competing hospitals in the area um, that kind of does what they would do, aside from obviously um, the the ascension, but they would lose their accreditation, and then they you know they they wouldn't be able to serve the community at that point. And then and then to take to take this again a step further, right? Uh, universal health care, uh, health care for all, all this other stuff. 
right? Rand, uh, Rand Paul, I think, pointed it out a long time ago as a doctor, and we've we've made the similar case, right? Healthcare cannot be a right uh, because it would place an undue burden upon providers of healthcare that they must now serve you even if they choose not to because it has been deemed a right. And so you're taking away the freedoms and liberties of one group, one person, one individual, one whatever, uh, in order to make something a right for everyone else. And this, this article came real close to illustrating that fact, right? Uh, people are, people have the right to yeah, radiology care, whatever, uh, whatever the, the, the department they were working at, um, and therefore, you, you, you are not allowed to leave your job, the IRC department, whatever that is, right? That, that is a right for all the, all the people in Wisconsin or that, that area of Wisconsin. Ogami County Circuit, uh, Ogami County, whatever, right? They, the, the, the people here have a right to this kind of care. There's only one provider, at least, you know, for the moment, Theta Care. And therefore, you are not allowed to quit your job because that would deny them their right to care. That's where we're headed. It got overturned this time, thankfully. But next time, who knows? What are they going to do? What are they going to do when it's actually universal health care and a right that, you, that people must get served? And there's a shortage. Sorry, nurses, doctors, you're not allowed to leave. You're not allowed to quit. You're not allowed to take vacation. No time off. The right of the people trumps your right as an individual. Very close. Very close to setting a bad precedent. I think. Craziness. Craziness. Craziness because I first read it and I went, there's no fucking way. And then I read the article, uh, you know, several days later or whatever, when the order was passed down, right? Like I read it, we're like, you know, this company's trying to sue this company. I went, that's crazy. And then I read the article that said like, Judge actually puts a stop to them transferring jobs and went, that's even more crazy. And then I read the article that said it was rescinded. I went, okay, good. They at least got it right. But holy shit, that was close to a terrible, terrible precedent going forward. Well, these things can definitely go awry. I mean, you would think that, for example, a farmer should be able to sell his products to, uh, I mean, to, to grow wheat to feed his own chickens. But The government has interpreted the Interstate Commerce Clause to say, well, whatever we say, I mean, or the the Jones Act. I mean, you you think that that was crazy. How crazy was the Jones Act? And that's still in place and justified by the courts as being the, you know, the uh, uh, Interstate Commerce Authority of the government to do whatever they want. So there's, there's no end to the absolutely crazy things that they would be allowed to do. They've tried to extend the Interstate Commerce Clause to not just what does cross borders, but what could potentially cross borders, maybe, right? Like, well, you may oh, yeah. you may be, but you may be growing local or manufacturing local and only selling uh, within your state, but that product has the potential to cross the borders. So it's, we're it's even we're worse step than in. that. They say, well, if you're growing uh, corn for your chickens, if if you if you give the corn to your chickens then you're removing the chance for it to go across the border yeah so therefore we have the ability to detect yeah. it because the opportunity it should have gone across it should have cost it should have crossed the border so that <laughs> so now we can text it yeah. so stupid but what happened go ahead yeah. that that it was wickard versus filburn 
1942, that was exactly that Supreme Court judgment that a farmer growing his own crops was not allowed, uh, I mean, was not allowed to grow those crops, even though he was grew them to, to uh, feed his own chickens, uh, because it would affect the interstate commerce of wheat. I mean, if he didn't grow his own crop, he would have bought uh, crops that would have affected the price internationally. So, of course, it all got um, uh, restricted, and that was the that's precisely what's happened. And it's remained in place ever since then, you know, as justification for uh, the continuation of these policies. Yeah. And, oh, okay, so again, one more reason for me to just burn the whole goddamn system down, right? Because <laughs> that was dumb 80 years ago, and it hasn't changed in 80 years, which means it's probably not going to change anytime soon under the current paradigm. And so the entire paradigm needs to be How many people do you think still do that, though, that uh, grow their own uh, crops for their animals? It's uh, got to happen. I mean, it, it's definitely got to happen. I, don't, I couldn't put a, I couldn't put a, a number on it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but is what it I, is I, that just one of those laws that nobody enforces, or do you think they still enforce that? It's a good question. I don't know. Oh, no. It, it just served as the justification for all the programs limiting... Uh, I mean, it was implemented under the Soil Bank in 1955, I think, under which Earl, no, it was um, Ezra Taft Benson, Secretary of Agriculture under the Eisenhower administration, uh, established the, the Soil Bank, which made it mandatory that farmers had to let officials from the Department of Agriculture come onto their land and survey what they were producing and cut and, and mandate that they had to cut back on how much they were producing. If they had produced it already, they had to destroy it. And if they uh, didn't cut back their production, uh, they could be fined. Their their farm could be seized uh, as a, under a contempt of court order, um, even if they refused to allow the department officials uh, onto their land. They could be charged with contempt of court. In the first year of that program, they charged 13,000 farmers $14.5 million for the crime of producing too much wheat. I mean, all of that is, uh, is uh, you know, part of uh, the history that, that, that then made it certain that the government could tell you how much you could produce. Does that answer your question, MC? Yeah, I just, I, I'd like a, uh, I guess a, 2022 update so but okay yeah i don't know exactly what's happening this year in terms of it but they they did you know they pay farmers to destroy sugar crops well but that was a way back they're they're paying farmers to put all their milk powder into storage in a massive underground caves um all of this is uh, they just well uh, yeah but i don't know what's happened this this year or I would like to think that on small family farms, it's not an enforced to that level, right? Well, even yep. if that's where it started, like now there's enough, you know, local farmers, homegrown, I'm doing my backyard growing and whatever to feed my, I got my tomatoes going or I'm raising pigs or chickens or whatever, that it's not, that they're not going like, well, you could have, I don't know. KS, you had a uh, little more thoughts? No, no. Yeah. All right. Well, I just hope they're doing it. And not telling anybody. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, I think that's the thing. If they're not, if they're, if they're doing it, the not telling part would be like, we're not trying to sell this. Right. Yeah. But if they're trying to feed their own chickens. Right. Then nobody should know. Yeah. Which is bizarre. How, who was, who was the inspector that was looking into that initially going like, what do you mean you're growing your own corn to feed your chickens? You know, like what were they looking at then? And how, how the hell in the forties? Come on, come on, man. All right, moving on. KS, you want an intellectual property? So why intellectual property isn't necessary to reward innovations? Um, I will say up front, this is a topic that we've covered a number of times uh, on on this podcast over the years because I, I pirate shit and I don't believe in intellectual property as a real thing in general. Um, so this is one of those, I want to say, like evergreen articles. Um not necessarily topical uh, as far as current events, but just a good idea to, to rehash every now and again if you're not familiar with it. Uh, why intellectual property isn't necessary to reward innovation. The concept of a pioneer's advantage is based on a single intuitive pillar. It takes time for knowledge to spread throughout society. When an entrepreneur mixes his existing knowledge and creates a new idea, in other words, innovates, He is the one who knows best about the idea he just invented. When materializing this idea, it is a fact that not everyone in society immediately knows about the innovation, nor how it works. This gives the innovating entrepreneur a temporal head start before his competitors, one, learn about the existence of this innovation, two, decide to reverse engineer it, and three, learn how to replicate it or operate it as effectively as him. In this way, we can indeed say that a pioneer advantage is some sort of knowledge cotillion effect. The cotillion effect uh, states that money is non-neutral, that not all society is affected simultaneously by the injection of new paper currency. Thus, when new currency is minted, it follows a certain path in the economy, benefiting the early receivers more than the late ones. The early receivers benefit because they have a head start, a temporal benefit, of spending their money at a moment when the prices have not been altered by inflation. Thus, the early receivers become wealthier compared to the late receivers. Similarly, when new knowledge is created, it does not impact the entirety of society at the same time. Knowledge and information are thus asymmetric in the sense that not everyone knows everything. Those who minted this new knowledge have had a temporal benefit, a head start, of putting it in practice at a time when their competitors have not even heard about it. As this new knowledge spreads throughout society, consumers flock to the innovative entrepreneur as if his innovation satisfies them more than what his competitors offer. The entrepreneur will make a profit. When this expansion of capital, the entrepreneur is able to expand operations and build more of this innovation. Losing consumers to this creative entrepreneur, his competitors suffer losses. Uh, This is what Schumpeter called creative destruction and thus are forced by the profit and loss mechanism to seek a way to replicate the invention. This, however, takes more time. And by the time they have managed to reverse engineer it and begin building it, the entrepreneur has had considerable time and acquired enough new capital to expand his own operations and build several more replicas of his new innovation. 
assuming away intellectual property laws as un- as other entrepreneurs learn about this innovation. In other words, as knowledge uh, as the knowledge cotillon effect is spread throughout society, they themselves will begin to improve this innovation in an attempt to replicate the breakthrough. What then happens? What that when that happens? Excuse me. These entrepreneurs will themselves get a pioneer advantage in their own innovations. Ultimately, the consumers are the one who benefit most in this innovation flying circus. Society is propelled forward. Entrepreneurs build on top of other innovations, create more and more knowledge, and expand more and more according to how much they satisfy the consumers. This concept is extremely useful in solving one of the main objections to the repeal of intellectual property laws. When someone proposes ending laws that monopolize ideas, the very first objection raised is usually this one. Well, big corporations will just instantly copy the entrepreneur. In fact, this is one of the first arguments made by Richard Epstein in his debate against IP lawyer Stephen Kinsella. Without IP laws, the entrepreneur is not able to sit back and collect rent on his innovation, as his competitors are on the move to reverse engineer and improve on it. He's forced to continually innovate, expand operations, and satisfy the consumer even more in order to keep his business afloat. With IP laws, however, there is no competitive pressure for the entrepreneur to continue improving his innovation. As the state blocks his competitors from reverse engineering his innovation, this entrepreneur is effectively granted a monopoly on the sector. As time goes by, the losses become overwhelming and most competitors go out of business. The sector becomes monopolized by a single entity. A great example of the entrepreneur who innovated, had a pioneer's advantage, and due to IP, IP laws managed to create a monopoly is Steve Jobs and Apple, his company. Steve innovated with the iPhone and revolutionized the smartphone industry, industry, causing the absolute downfall of Nokia at the time the largest smartphone manufacturer. This is a practical demonstration of how pioneer advantages generate creative destruction. However, due to IP laws, other entrepreneurs weren't able to improve or replicate the iPhone. This unfortunate reality resulted in a creative stagnation as Apple sat back and was relieved of being efficient by state laws. This monopolization of an idea due to state intervention resulted in the cartelization of the smartphone industry and the absurd concentration of wealth in Apple. Without IP laws, Apple would have still grown and profited considerably, and Nokia would still have been knocked down. But other entrepreneurs would have been able to improve on the iPhone and replicate it, applying considerable competitive pressure to Apple. This would have birthed a new, freer environment and would have never led to such a concentration of wealth in Apple. The company probably would have still been big, but nowhere near as big as it is now, nor as creatively stagnant. In summary, a pioneer's advantage is the temporal head start an entrepreneur has after innovating, which grants him considerable time to build wealth and market share before the knowledge spreads to other entrepreneurs, and they themselves start improving on and replicating the innovation. It goes without saying that this ultimately benefits the consumer and society at large the most. End of the article. So, KS, you were looking at this one. Uh, your thoughts, anything to add, anything the article left out? Oh, no, I like that point that at the very end, the fact that the whole point of innovation is to get things to the consumer, not to enrich the producer. The, the producers are serving the consumer. That's how they get, uh-huh. get, they, they get rich. And, and from, I think there would have been... From, be a, from whose, whose perspective, though? <laughs> sometimes sometimes the, the producers uh, only care about themselves. Yeah, oh. sure, but that's not the purpose of the market, uh, to, to care about them. 
uh, they are served by the consumers um, buying their stuff. And then they have, I like the idea that there's this constant pressure to constantly be innovating because there's, there's a, lots of competition out there. The better idea, the more competition. And that's always beneficial to consumers having, I mean, look what happened when they eliminated the AT&T uh, monopoly of long lines uh, division. Suddenly there were uh, dozens, if not hundreds of, of different uh, people springing up and offering innovations with uh, with smartphones. Isn't it the American way, though, that if, if you create something, if you innovate, if you invent something, um, that you should be rich and wealthy, and that that is that is what is owed to you for that creative endeavor, rather than having to constantly toil away? Uh, I, I don't think well, uh, if um, like, I guess, I guess, okay, let me rephrase a little bit or try to explain what I'm trying to say here. The article seems to imply that inventors, right? Those that create, uh, continuously create and innovate. And what I am suggesting is a lot of inventions, a lot of innovations are one-offs by one guy with a great idea, right? Mm-hmm. And then he's not necessarily an inventor. He's a problem solver who had a problem and solved it, right? And if we if we look at um, like Kickstarter, the you know the the Kickstarters that happen, it's it's a lot of small inventors, small people going like, I have this problem, and I'm kickstarting my solution to this problem, right? And in all likelihood, they're not going to become like the next manufacturer in that particular area. They just want to you know they they said like i'm i got this one product here's my thing and that's it and should that how long i guess should that hold them over right they put in all this time research effort for this one product they have their they have the uh the pioneers advantage in this area uh but it also doesn't mean that they're going to innovate further it doesn't mean that they're going to continue to invent things right? That, that may not be who they are. That may not be what they do. It may be that this is their one brilliant idea. Um, and they should benefit wholly for it. Well, I like what you said at the beginning that, it, uh, that inventors are problem solvers and they like doing it. It's not, uh, getting rich is not the only motive that people have of, uh, being problem solvers. They do it because they're just curious and they like solving problems and, and, Sometimes they can turn it into I mean, the reason you can get rich is because you're getting it to the consumer and benefiting the consumer uh, in some way f- from it. Okay, so you get you get money for that. That's another whole other task. You know, an inventor may come up with ideas, but it then a marketer and a producer and manufacturer, and it's the organizer, the entrepreneur, in a sense, that's organizing all of these things together that makes it possibly finally available for the consumer. Who's going to pay for it? Yeah. But after all of that, right, the inventor, you know, I think like Nikola Tesla, uh, invents all those great things, uh, dies poor because of it. Uh, well, right, doesn't, doesn't, I, I, doesn't see the maximal value of their contribution to society. Now, I, I don't know enough about the history of of tesla to to be able to confirm that statement that he uh created all these ideas because i think that he was also 
working with Westinghouse and he was in a very, you know, uh, competitive world of producing his electronic uh, materials as well. I think he was a very, he had a very quirky personality that may have also uh, complicated his okay. ability to relate. I mean, I, as I understand it from what little I know, J.P. Morgan was very eager to fund, finance him. You know, so he had money from that source for his ideas, and he, uh, I mean, and he worked with uh, uh, Thomas Edison a lot too. And I understand, I mean, just brief, briefly, that there were a whole lot of personality quirks uh, that made it difficult for him to do business with either of them. Okay, but society benefits from some of his inventions, and where you know he, for one reason or another, right, isn't doesn't get that wealth that other inventors would under the guise of IP. Yeah, but just getting wealth, I mean, it doesn't mean you're necessarily a good manager of wealth. Maybe okay. you, you, he got lots of contracts and opportunities come his way, and maybe he did not spend it. Okay. I think it's really important to tap the, the knowledge and skills of people who are really good at and adept at money management. And that's an entirely different skill than than a genius at electronics or yeah. electrum is well then then you get companies what is it like 3m or whatever that their engineers are allowed to do side work uh but if you do the side work 3m retains the patent right well, we'll, we'll they make we'll pay you to we'll pay you to have fun but you you know because you're not good at managing it we keep everything well uh, yeah but that's the agreement that uh that someone who works for them has uh, they true. yeah if you, um, uh, I have a friend who uh, didn't want to work with the University of Hawaii because they had they had their understanding is that well if you work with us then it belongs to the University of Hawaii. He says, well then I'm not going to take my ideas to you. You know you yeah. you don't make it very attractive for me. And do you think that that's because he has a higher value of his skill set in whatever field he was in? Right, like I, I'm so confident in what I can offer that I can shop this around, rather than give it to one one outlet exclusively. Sure. Okay. Any other thoughts? Final thoughts. Okay. Nope. Thanks. Nope. All right. Okay. Thanks a lot, Rick. All right. Yeah. That'll yeah. do it for us. Then you guys know where to find us: anarchistexperience.com on telegram t.me slash anarchist experience or t.me slash the anarchist experience and if you would like to contribute to this show financially you can do so through patreon patreon.com slash the anarchist experience thank you very much for listening and we'll talk to you all next week peace aloha